What happens when college freshman roommates, friends of 25 years, one black, one white, have their first conversation about race? When Todd asked me about having our first conversation about race and recording it to make it public, I thought to myself, what can I say that isn't said already by others? Then I thought, when a person comes to you, heart in hand, and ready to listen, you rise and speak your truth. Look, we have a situation in this country. And I realized I wasn't a person in the news cycle. I was a real person with the key to opening a heart. As you'll see, Andre and I don't agree about everything. And there are some tense moments in our conversation. But we lay it all out on the table without fear of judgment or blowback, knowing that we are imperfect people having a conversation about a complicated topic, and we will make missteps. Look, we're human, we're emotional, and we often generalize about people. And sometimes we forget that reality and people are nuanced. Andrea and I share our experiences and beliefs when it comes to race, knowing that we don't know the whole story about race in this country. And can't speak for all Black people. Or all white people. We know we don't have the answers, but we do have a willingness to listen and explore as we have the real deal, no holes barred, don't filter what you think, conversation about race. So what does a first conversation about race look like? Like, when did you first experience being Black as something and being Black as something negative, right? So it's like the awareness that there's difference, but then it's like the charge, like how, it, how you know, that it's in some ways a bad thing to be, a difficult thing to be. Well, hold up, because that, that's a, we have, that's a, that's a deep question and deeper than you know. And okay. I have to explain parts of it. Okay. And it has to do, it has to do with me and my physical appearance. So okay. I am light skin. Yeah. And woo, light and bright. And that means something. It does in this world. Like it's a tangible thing that there is, is sometimes in certain groups preference shown for people who have lighter complexion. So to answer your question, I first knew that black was something because I was just always around black people. Like I even though I guess I live as a black professional now, I did not grow up that way. So I grew up in a place where there were just always black people. Some were professionals, some were working class, but I was never one of few. I was always one of many. Even in the public schools, there were white people. There were because uh, I remember I remember when I first learned what a Jewish person was actually because. Um, I went to a middle school that had Jewish people and I learned about Shabbat, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, because they would, they would, on the holy days, they wouldn't be. And so I'm like, why are the people half the school is gone? Yeah. Um, so I remember knowing that I was something in those tween years because I was in a community of people that all looked like me and there were no real outsiders. And then I would go to a public school, take a bus, go to public school. And there were still tons of black people, but also tons of other people, tons of white people too. But what I 
the deeper awareness is of my skin color that came in those years and also later in life. As I started to see that I had easier relationships with white people than my black friends. Mm. You know, like I was the place I was at last night, like it's just like, and a white person once told me, a white man once told me, said, you're not threatening. Like you're just, I just had easier relationships. And I started to explore that myself. I'm like, why? Because black people would have all these stories of these just really awful interactions with white people. Not, not that they were being called the N word, but just really interactions full of bias. And I was like, I don't really have all of that. I mean, I have some of it, but not as much as the rest of you. And that's when I started to coalesce in my mind that your lightness means something, your lightness mm -hmm. is valuable, your lightness mm -hmm. is prefer preferred, not, mm -hmm. only within, not only with white people, but also within your own black community, mm -hmm. you know, to some degree. I mean, there are infinite stories of black men who only date light-skinned black women, <laughs> and, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and so that's why it's a two-part question. Uh, and with respect to how, what I did with that information, it depends on whether my egoic mind was showing up or my, you know, my alliance with the infinite mind, what I would say my, the, the Christ-like nature that we all have the possibility of manifesting. So I do cringe at some of my, you know, manifestations once I had that information and some of the biases that I developed about white people, literally, because I was like, well, if you're not going to like me, I won't like you. <laughs> so, yeah. and no yeah. one benefits with that. But yeah. it was in those tween years, and I'm still learning about how to navigate those waters. Um, but yeah, I hope I answered your question. Yeah, so so you did partially. So uh, let me see if I got so far what you what you said. So there was a way in which there was a way in which you you had easier relationships with people who were white. Mm -hmm. Not, not had, I still do. That you still do. That you yeah, still do. I still yeah. do have easier relationship with white people. Yeah. And, but you said there was some, so would you say your experiences generally as, as a black person who had relationships with white people, your general feeling about white people and your relationships with them up until you got to the point where you saw some sort of discrepancy, right? You saw a difference. Was it largely positive that you had a feel, like thoughts and feelings about the relationships and, and about, again, white people? No. Did it have no. any kind of negative aspect? And, and like, where did, did that come from? Okay. I did. I'll tell you where it came from. And the reason the answer is no. And I think it, just, it, it speaks to the difference in where you and I were raised in the United States. Yeah. So I've always known I live in the South. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the specter of you know, the vitriol that can be thrown a black person's way in the South was always present in my mind. Did you so experience I, it or it was just- Not was, really, was, I've never really experienced it, okay. but I've okay. always been cognizant that it could happen. So I, I have largely been very skeptical of white people, not fearful, but skeptical and sort of treaded lightly around them because yeah. I was like, yeah, I may have easier sort of relationships, but I'm still black. Yeah. And, and I know what that means. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very cognizant that I live in the South, I was raised in the South, I live in the South now. Yeah. So it, I never once felt that my skin color, my lightness 
with some sort of like, get out of black free card. No, no, no. I mean, I'm, not, I'm yeah. like, I don't care how, I don't care how palatable I may be to certain white people. I'm still black. And so, and so is that something that you learned through ideas that you heard from family and or friends? Was it based on not just ideas, but like tangible experiences that you heard what they had to go through and didn't want to experience it yourself? Like, what were you, what, what led to that skepticism? Like, how did you learn that? And, and yeah, let's start there. Like, how did you, how did you learn that? Not so much through family experience, but experience in the broader black community. Okay. Uh, discrimination that I heard about okay. um, um, those those things because my I mean my family is not very political uh, so we basically lived our lives and went to work and came home and white people were around at work but in the social life they were never around like, yeah even, even to this day my family we only like for my nuclear family, not extended family. I don't know what my extended family does, but we only have black friends. We, <laughs> um, I mean, clearly I'm friends with you, so I don't not only have black friends, yeah. but it's, large, it's mostly black and African-American people. Um, so when I was more so through pop culture and just the culture of this, I mean, you've never spent extended time in the South, but it's just known in the South. Like that's it, the, the legacy of the South is is palpable it's still here and it's just known in the south that being black harm can come to you because you are a part of that group even if you're black adjacent so even aligning with it and i mean some may say well not physical harm and physical harm is generally an extreme even though if we look at the cases like brianna taylor and and all these other different things it happens but social harm just all the different ways in your life is lessened and so just, I've always been an intuitive person and intuiting the culture around me. I just knew that these, even though they're not happening to you, these things can happen to you. So Got just it. be aware of it and take measures to be safe. Yeah. And so, so you were hearing it from whatever your social circles were at the time. Um, it made you, it, it, it gave you this feeling of skepticism. And it exists in the North too, but I can only speak, I can only speak about being in yeah. the Southern United States. Yeah. This is where I've spent all of my life is in yeah. the American South, in the U.S. South. Yeah. And so, and so my, my question is, well, if you feel comfortable, like, what did you worry about happening? Like, what, what did you want to protect against? Like that skepticism, what, what did you, so you heard stuff. You had images, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, in your mind of what could happen. Um, Honestly, and it, being murdered by white people. Okay. Like, and I'm, I'm, don't cry, don't cry. Like, being physically harmed by white people. Being yeah. drugged, put, being attached to these people's car and dragging, being drugged like James Byrd back in 1998. By yeah. being harmed by white people. Being my physical person. That's what I think about now, being harmed by white people. Yeah, and you thought about it back then? Yeah, and now, <laughs> like, because yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. during the pandemic, we had lovely, lovely weather. 
And I had taken to walking to the grocery store and I love to go for long, long walks. So I would have to walk about a mile through the neighborhood to the grocery store. And it was a lovely, lovely walk. Beautiful days. I remember I just so enjoyed it. And I was like, Andre, what if one of these homeowners, because I live around a lot of white people, mistake you for some kind of burglar or anything and an instant your life can change. You need to start driving. Yeah. And that's unfortunate that I'm fearful to go on a walk in, the, in a neighborhood where I pay property taxes. Yeah. Because I could be mistaken. Louis Gates was mistaken for a burglar in front of his own home. Yeah. And I could be mistaken for a burglar. You see all the ways in which your life is contrived. And so that's what I worry about, that harm could be done to me just because I'm Black. Yeah. Um, so what was that like? I, I know you say it's now, too. And I'm, I, I, you know, I'd like to hear about if you're, if you're open, you know, to, to sharing the trajectory of that experience. So you're, you're, you're concerned about kind of your, your, your physical self um, and, and being harmed. I guess two questions I have is like, was that the main and only concern? Like would verbal you know, emotional, mental harms, like, was that even something that was in your mind over time? Did that matter at all is one question. And then I guess the, the bigger question is, whatever those worries were, be they just physical, which is, you know, powerful enough, and maybe otherwise, like, what did that, how do you think it impacted you? Not just in your relationship, relationships with people who were white, um, at school and, and in the other context that you were in around white people over time. How present is that impact? And what do you think the impact was on you like over time? Like, how, how, how do you experience, how does that, how do, is this something that comes up every now and then? Is it something that stays yeah. with you? And like, what does it lead to that would be different if you didn't feel that? I don't trust people. Yeah. Literally, I don't trust people because of that. So the answer to, I'll take the latter question first. Uh, I have issues with trusting people and opening myself up to white relationships. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I don't, uh -uh, I don't trust. <laughs> and it's because of that. So, and that's, that's not a way to live because, and these are like, it's, how can I, it's like, it's not a way to live because I don't trust people who've been kind to me. Yeah. I don't trust people who've not shown me bias. That's not right. You know, like, like people who've given me no reason to believe that they have any, you know, malevolent intention whatsoever. I don't trust them. Yeah. And that's not right. And that's, that's how it's manifested in my life. Mm -hmm. And my other, to, to address, I believe your first question, my other fear is my career being stymied. Mm -hmm. because I'm black that's why so many African-Americans you know want to become entrepreneurs or they are entrepreneurs because at least in some way you can take your destiny in your own hands I don't mm -hmm. have to worry about a, will my boss give me a bonus or not give me a bonus will they ding me for that project or not that or this project you know because you're black or because because maybe they believe a black person is slightly less deserving or you give an easier assessment to someone who's white versus 
someone who's black, you know, that, I mean, career is, is a huge worry of mine. Cause like I said, like, I mean, it's known we make like at least a million dollars less than most white people over our lifetime. Yeah. That is a huge chunk of money. Everyone yeah. makes over a million dollars in their life. Even if you think you're not, you do. Uh, but you know, and you know, when a, a person is making a million dollars less, that's a really different life. That's vacations you didn't take. Maybe that's a private school. Maybe that's tutoring for your kids, you know? Um, yeah, career was, other than physical harm, career was a big worry. Uh -huh. And not trusting people has limited the fullness of humanity for me. You know, that I'm judging a person because they're white and because of the history of the South, no matter how they treat me, and I do. Seriously, I recognize that as a bias. And it's a, just a mechanism for me to self-protect. My physical harm and also the emotional harm that can you know, be done when you trust a person and they end up betraying you in some way. When I reflected on our first conversation, I mean, the moment that hit me the most was when you talked about like being fearful of your physical being of your yes. physical person personhood. And I mean, you also described worries about social harm and career harm and, um, and those matter to you as well. You know, it seemed like the social harm wasn't as strong because you had a social base in the black community that you knew you'd always have. Right. So the career harm was a little bit more, um, but the, the physical harm, was something that seemed to be pretty profound for you. And it was profound for me to hear that because I, I never knew that. I, I just never, I never knew that you, you know, felt like you had to walk through life worrying about whether you were going to be physically harmed. Um, and so, so I, you know, in putting that my, and I'm sorry about that, you know, I'm sorry that you had to feel and still feel like you have to feel that way. Um, and, protect yourself and be cautious or as what as you what you said even in terms of white relationships you know be skeptical um as, as like a first approach to white relationships many of us are like that yeah yeah <laughs> and i i that was powerful for me to hear coming from you because i never had a sense of that um from you it was um sad for me to hear <laughs> Exactly. No, because don't get me wrong. I'm not going to give off that sense to you. I know. I'm not 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 you or any other white person. So you're not you're never going to feel it from me, but it will yeah. always be there. Because so when when I'm in your presence, my energy will shift to make you think that oh everything's cool. But yeah. but my, I think one of the big thing takeaways you sounds like you took from our conversation is that I concentrate a lot on self preservation. Yes. And. Um, yeah, a lot of black people do. <laughs> and even though our outward feelings may be, you know, jovial or whatever, and you're like, oh, Andre's cool, it's still a current running through our mind yeah. in all aspects of our life. So can, one of the things it's a, it's I understand and I don't feel I have a perfect I'm never gonna have a perfect understanding, but a a strong understanding still of where so of where that of where that came from from such a, a young age like what you, you you talked about it coming from stories you heard 
and, and also pop culture. Um, and I just, I don't, I, it, it's hard for me to understand why you felt that fear of physical, like what were the stories you were hearing? Like, what were you seeing? Like now, you know, with, with cell phones, we see these incidences, right? Um, with police and otherwise. And again, this wasn't part of my information environment, right? All of what we would think of as popular culture um, and, and also my real life stories, right? Not just my own, but the others who are in my you know, social network. Like, what were you hearing that, that led you to fear for your physical safety? Like, what, what is that impact? What is it that leads to that if it's not happening to you or something like that is not happening. Do you know what I mean? I know completely what you mean. And as you talk, like I said, it's the luxury of being white. <laughs> so, so enlighten me on what you know experience was for you that that led you to have this persistent feeling if you if you feel comfortable. Oh, I totally feel comfortable. Yeah. And it's not some incident. It's not some childhood trauma. It is knowing the history of how we have been treated yeah. in this country. Okay. If you just know American history, you're like, oh, I see why he feels that way. <laughs> like, this is American, not to mention, I've spent nearly all of my life in the United States South. <laughs> Yeah. This, the, it's this, and, and this, I think there's a bit of a cultural difference between the two of us because you're from the West Coast and I don't get me wrong, the West Coast has its issues, but I've been there and a lot of race riots happen there. Yeah. But there's, an un, there's always an undercurrent of the history when you live in the South, just by knowing U.S. history, you, yeah. you know to fear for your safety. You, you, I just know history and I know I'm a part of that group and I'm like, well, hell, shit. <laughs> you know, you, you just... And also your families inculcate you to always be aware when something could get started, like always be hyper aware of your environment. Okay. You know? Like this just it's just a part of, it's a part of being, and it's just something that you just don't have to deal with. Yeah. Uh, or maybe, you know, this, it's just a part of being, you have to, you have to, edu you know, educate your children that you are a part of a group that could be targeted at any moment for whatever reason. And number one, you need to be conscious of the environment so you can identify the situation. And number two, know how to flee it or defuse it. Yeah. So what would, okay, so it's, it's so what I'm hearing is just, it's, it's learning the history, it's learning what black people have experienced in, in America and knowing that you're black and you're in America and you're in particular in the South, um, What do you think, like, where do we need to get? What do you think needs to happen to, for there to be a feeling of safety, knowing that, yes, there is that history, but that history is not now. And I'm not saying that there are not things now, but what I'm saying is I'm trying to figure out when we stop taking when when you feel the black community wouldn't feel that today i have to feel unsafe 
physically unsafe as a black person because of this history, right? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like when I, yeah. go to, when I go to Germany and granted there wasn't like the same, there wasn't, even though there, the Holocaust was there, there wasn't the same kind of history, long history in the same way there was in America for black people. Okay, so I, I recognize that. But I don't go to Germany, you know, and I, I don't, I'm, I'm sure there are German neo-Nazis. You know, I'm sure there are groups of German neo-Nazis, but I don't, I don't go to Germany feeling unsafe. And in fact, I had the, you know, the first time I was there, I had this experience that like was kind of bewildering for me. There was a girl who she asked who I was and she, I don't, I don't know how it came to be that I said that I was Jewish, um, but something, she asked it for some reason and she started profusely apologizing, like profusely apologizing for what the German people had done to the Jews. And I was like, I don't feel I need your apology, um, you in particular, but so I have a certain feeling that is clearly on the reverse <laughs> side of what what was experienced back then. Do you understand? So I've been in Germany and I got heckled by yeah. a group of teenagers for being black. Yeah, maybe I should have said I was Jewish. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so this 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 it's not just a U.S. thing. Like kind of a friend once said. When did someone have the world conference to decide that we were the group of people to hate? <laughs> like this, this is all over the world. I mean, we just we're concentrated because we're both from the U.S. and we've lived most of our lives in this country, and this is the bedrock of our experiences. But uh, to answer your question of like what would need to change, and I, and I want to talk specifically about the physical safety, right? Well, like, I, I understand that there like discrimination. And I felt physically unsafe in Germany when I was being heckled by those being heckled. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm like, I'm here in Germany alone. I was there on a layover in a city. I won't mention it. But I was there on a layover in a city for like nine hours. And I was like, I'll go out and see the city. And I was literally just walking around yeah. with a backpack, just looking at sites at this in particular. Yeah. But I was one of few, one of, I was the only one in that German square. Yeah. And there was a sense of fear. I'm like, I don't speak this language. I don't know these people. I'm here all alone, you know, by myself. And I remember like ducking into like a restaurant just to, so they would leave me alone and just pretend like I wanted to eat. Or whatever so they would just move on and then yeah that happened yeah Actually, about four years ago yeah <laughs> yeah but in the united states what has to change i think it's a series of steps to show that our lives are valued and 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 are respected i think a lot of it for me i can't speak for the black race or, sure. or african americans or you know people in the african diaspora here in the u.s but I can speak for me. And for me, a lot of it begins with law enforcement because they are such a model in the community. When they begin to show that we value black lives, you know, and we respect black lives and all of its representation, then that would make me feel a much more comfortable with my safety. And that anyone who tried to attack my safety or violate my safety would be held accountable. You know, yeah. and so because when when people feel they will be held accountable, I mean, it's sort of like it's it's a perimeter. Like they're less like they're less likely to, you know, yeah. commit an infraction. Yeah. You know, Derek Chauvin didn't feel he would be held accountable because he thought what he was doing was within the letter of his job description. Yeah. So he did it. Yeah. Yeah, and. So it's the history that you kind of learned and were like, did you, like you talked a little bit about the stories that you heard, 
Like, did you hear stories where if you were in, because I'm still trying to think like, how was your learning of the history brought to the present where you felt we're still in this place where I need to, I need to protect myself physically among, you know, as well as in other ways. Like, were there stories you heard from other people, you know, that you were like, well, if I was in that circumstance, I would feel physically unsafe. Um, that lets you know, wow, we're, it's, it's still the case that I need to be protective of myself. I think it's, it's all of the events, right? Okay. It's the history, it's the present. <clears throat> um, I think it's like, it's so, and please don't be offended by this. No, but I'm not. I think you and I live in two different realities. <laughs> like, because I'm like, because to me, all of this is so obvious. And I'm like, I'm struggling to understand what you don't understand. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, I mean, that was the basis of our, that was a huge part of our conversation. Right, like, conversation what, right, which not is, which is, not understand. Yeah, <laughs> no, which is, absolutely. I don't really know what that, I'm trying to put myself into that situation where, let's be nice. <laughs> Yeah, listen, my grandfather, who had a direct experience, right? My grandparents, both, but I had this particular conversation a lot more with my grandfather. Mm -hmm. He did not want non-Jewish people in his house. Mm -hmm. um, and the trauma of the Holocaust, I, you know, I, I felt trusting of and don't get me wrong, he had relationships. They were business relationships. Yes. You know, they were transactional relationships. Yes. But if I were to ask, this is earlier in my life. I mean, he changed over time and yes. a lot probably through our conversations. Um, but when I would ask him about his feelings, you know, he, he was uncomfortable with me bringing anyone into his home, mm -hmm. right, into his personal sphere who was not Jewish. And it's not that he felt negatively per se about anyone that he saw who was non-Jewish, but he had a built-in distrust, a built-in discomfort um, because of what happened to him and his family and to a whole millions of people, millions of Jews in, in Europe during that time. So why, why do I bring this up? First of all, I have, a, you know, you know, my grandparents were like my best friends, as I said last time, you know, this person, and I care about you as well, which is, again, why I'm asking these questions, just like I did with my grandfather, mm -hmm. who I could totally understand why he felt the way he felt, even if I wanted him to, even if I wished he could feel different, even if I wished I could bring home someone who was a good friend of mine, who was just happened not to be Jewish, so that he could understand the people who I was close to in my life, the, so that he could understand, Nick, you can trust people who are not Jewish, you can bring them into your home. Um, but I know that I had a different reality than he had, right? And so I had to actually learn, I mean, it wasn't, you know, again, I know the history of the Holocaust, but it is in learning his personal experience where it drove home all the more, I get, I, I like, I can't, fault you for having these discomforts. It makes complete sense um, to, to be wary and to have that skepticism as you, as you put it. So, so yeah, I, I recognize that I lived in, I lived in a different world than my grandfather. I, and I lived in a different world than you, but I don't know that world unless I know that world. 
And thank you for sharing that because now I think I can couch it in, ter- in a context that you probably would understand. Yeah. So my experience is, and I think this, this I think I can say for many Black people, my experience is the collective experience of all Black people because we, because it's racial and because our Blackness, our, you know, looking and being part of the African diaspora is something you can't hide or run from, or at least most of us can, and you shouldn't. You should be proud of your genetic makeup. And so for me, with respect to, to answer this question specifically about me, like when did I intuit and internalize that I need to watch over my physical safety, it's knowing the collective experiences of everyone else, whether in the past or in the present, even if it's just one incident in a year and knowing that could be me, right? Yeah. And, and there's a very deep appreciation, I feel, in the Black community of, you know, that could be you. I mean, there's a saying there before the grace of God go I, woo, which is what I live my life by. You know, like, you know, like that could be you, the, the the insinuation behind that Bible verse is it could be you, you know, who's experiencing the opposite end of the goodness of life, even though life is good all the time, right? You know, the, the, the bad vicissitudes of life. And so for me, I just always, I developed a framework of, okay, be on guard and, and preserve yourself, your physical self as much as you can, you know? So always be mindful of your environment, Always be mindful of people's energy when that energy shifts. And like I said, learn how to manage it. Now, have I been in situations like that in my life? No, but do I feel they could happen at any moment? Yep. Thank you for watching this episode of Healing Race and stay with us for a scene from our next video. If you wanna see more conversations like the one you just watched, please subscribe to our channel, share this video with friends and family, and like and comment on the video below. If you'd like to be a guest on one of our episodes and have an open, real conversation about race, email us at guests at healingraceshow.com. And if there are topics you think we should cover, we'd love to hear them. So please email your ideas to topics at healingraceshow.com. As always, thanks for your support. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you. Now, here's a scene from our next healing race. I've I've heard people talk about the talks about how to carry oneself um, as a as a black person in America, uh, right? Yeah. Um, so I know that there is a presence in in one's mind in in the community. Like when I was stopped at border patrol a few days ago, coming back from Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Todd. But yes, and I and, and when I was stopped at Border Patrol, the first thing that came to mind is carry yourself. Mm-hmm. What's your presence? Because mm-hmm. it was two white agents, disarm them, disarm mm-hmm. them. Adjust your personality to disarm them. Mm-hmm.